<laughs> hey, we've been in this series about the wilderness. Uh, Case, Pastor Casey talked about the wilderness and going through it. And, I, and I've been giving some survival tips about when you find yourself in a wilderness season of your life. One of mine and Denise's favorite shows right now is Race to Survive Alaska. I don't know if you've seen this show, man. And I don't, I love survival shows. I don't know if I'm just living through them because this is stuff I could never do. Uh, because I don't even like to camp, folks. Uh, to me, there's nothing fun about going to pretend you're homeless for a week. Uh, there's just, you know, I'm not a camp. Now, if you've got an RV with air conditioning TV, I'm in. But don't throw me in a tent where I'm fighting mosquitoes off. That's just not my idea of fun. But in this Alaska, man, it starts out with these eight teams of two. And they are put through some things. Day one, they've got four days to reach what's called survival camp. And, and in those four days, uh, I forget how many miles they're having to go through. And when I say wilderness, it is the Alaskan wilderness. And you've got a 12-hour race window. You've got 12 hours. At the end of that 12 hours, wherever you are, you stop. You have to try to set up some kind of covering. You have to find yourself something to eat. Because you, all you take in with you is what's on your back. Let, let me just show you. Play, play that video of, of this show. Give you a little better understanding. Alaska is no joke. There's just so many different ways to get owned out here. Ah! <laughs> Being brothers from Alaska this is like the biggest advantage. I set my first world record at 13 years old. I've spent 40 days in the Philippine jungles with just a knife and a fire starter. This is what I live for. Alaska is a fearsome place. It's the toughest place to do something like this. This is an ultimate challenge. There's so many different options to choose from and no easy option. Have you looked at the map though, Isabella? Jason, I know it's this way. We're not following trails here. We're making trails. This is gonna be next level. Here we go. The things we will do to not starve. We need to make sure we're fed first. 100%. Everybody wants to have Max and Christian knocked out. You okay? I just, I'm so weak, Robin. There's a point where winning is not worth it to me. I am very angry at this point. I could have chosen someone else if she didn't want to do this race. Just push flat. That's all I want you to do. My dad still underestimates me, but we're not father and son. We're equal here. Nice job, guys. Oh, he fell. I can't. I can't. If you quit, you will die. I can beat every single person here. I think these guys are more than they let on. Yeah. Those two have been playing everyone. I would die for this challenge. All these miles out here are earned, they're not given. It's excruciating. Because you have to race, but then you also have to survive. Went into the woods like last place, now we're in the lead. Look at that scratch on the tree. Oh, this is a bear. I want to have a lady alliance. <laughs> Just have to follow these girls and then snipe them at the last minute. I'm seriously pissed right now. Don't ever do that again. 
there's a helicopter coming to rescue someone. It's very sobering. If you don't fend for yourself, you're going to get eaten out here. Every setback is a comeback. Woo! I'm giving it everything I got. Ooh. If I don't push here, this could be it. Oh, my God. Unresponsive, 130 heart rate. I don't know how I'm still freaking alive. I'm telling you, I, it, it's a it, it's a just a great show. It's fascinating to me. Like me, I want to be. I'd love to be on Survival or Survivor. You know the TV show. Then I thought, man, I'm a pastor now. I can't get on there. I'm telling you, ten days in, maybe y'all y'all be watching your pastor lose his dang mind. It'd be like. I mean, try, but it is. It, they said one thing: you find yourself just trying to find something to eat, so you don't starve. So you don't starve, because that's one of the biggest obstacles. Because you see here in this race, these guys they start off fast and strong, but when they go without food a few days and they're not able to find something to eat, their bodies start to weak. Not just their bodies; they mentally get tired. Because they're going without food. And so that's what I want to talk about today in our wilderness survival guide is when you're in a wilderness season or survival season of your life, you find yourself hungry, what do you do? And I hope you know I'm not talking about a physical hunger. I'm, I'm not talking about the kind of hunger that you can satisfy by going through Taco Bell drive through I'm talking about a hunger when it's, you're hungry for something to be different in your life. You're hungry for something to change. You're hungry because you know this can't be all there is to life. And you find yourself hungry. And the thing about hunger, though, is it causes you to start reaching for things you normally wouldn't reach for. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you've got a Bible, Genesis 25... And uh, before we get there, I'll catch you up with this. But Gen Genesis 25, man, there's a great story that takes place uh, that's dealing with um, someone that gets hungry. In fact, they say they're famished, they're starving. And the consequences of not checking his hunger. In the beginning of Genesis 25, we see Abraham uh, getting ready to die. He gives his... Uh, everything he owns to his son Isaac. And it goes on to give us an account of Ishmael's descendants. Then it gets down to talking about Isaac and his descendants. And it says Isaac marries Rebekah. Rebekah gets pregnant with these twins. And the Bible says these twins actually fight or struggle with each other in the womb. And that's where we're going to start out today is verse 24 of Genesis chapter 25. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, 
But Rebecca loved Jacob. Here's the thing. Esau, it says, grew in his abilities. He got really good at hunting. He became a very skillful hunter, got really good at what he's doing. The problem with Esau is what the, the problem is with a lot of people today. He got really good. He developed his skill, but never developed his character. And a lot of people get really good at what they do, but they never take time to develop their character. In other words, he never learned how to control his appetite. Esau didn't. And it reminded me when I was studying this about two brothers that attended here years ago. And as an older, younger brother, and the older brother had an amazing voice. I mean, this kid could sing. The younger brother, not so much. He loved music, but it was like, uh, maybe we want to check into another area of ministry. The older brother, though he had great skill, never developed his character. And I can't tell you where the older brother is today because he's hopped around so much. But the younger brother developed his character while he was developing his skill. He got hungry for God and became the worship pastor at a large church down in Alabama to the point where then they sent him to Texas to plant a church. He's been there like five or six years and has got a very successful ministry. What was the difference? One developed their their skill but no character integrity the other developed their character integrity and had a hunger for god and developed the skill in the process i'm telling you guys there it, there is a huge difference in what we allow we can get very good at something but if we do not develop our character and our integrity somewhere along the line it'll be exposed are you with me uh, and here's the thing what you need to understand. Don't mistake outward age or success for inward maturity. Are you hearing me? Because, well, I'm, gonna get, I'm getting ahead of myself. Says the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, the dad, had a taste for a wild game, so he loved Esau, the hunter. Mama, Rebecca, she loved Jacob. Esau was a daddy's boy. Jacob was a mama's boy. Any mama's boys in here? Come on, don't be ashamed. I know, I know. Esau wore, uh, Esau wore camo and real tree. Jacob wore skinny jeans and fake glasses. <laughs> Pastor Ben is like a hybrid of the two. He's not up here right now. He's in the woods with his skin-tight camo. Man, let's go, let's go, let's go. That's funny. I wish he's out. That's funny. I didn't do that the first service. That's funny. There he is. Come on in. He's making his way. There we go. <laughs> let's move on. Get this, verse 20. 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew because I'm starving. 
Esau comes in from a long, unsuccessful day of hunting. He's starving. He's hungry. Survival tip number one when you're hungry in a wilderness season. Be careful who you talk to when you're hungry. Be careful. Be careful who you talk to when you find yourself vulnerable, frustrated, starving, who you reach out to for help. Because here's what I know. I've said this a thousand times, and it probably rings true more today than ever, and that's this. Wrong voices equal wrong choices every single time. Every single time. Think about this. Adam and Eve. They walked in the garden daily with God. They talked daily with God. One moment of a wrong voice speaking into their life. And what happened? Come on. I'm going to tell you this is one of the biggest issues that we're seeing right now. The wrong voices trying to speak into our kids' lives. And I may aggravate some people right now, but you can go home and pray about it. God will tell you that I was right. So let's move on. But I see this. The wrong voices are screaming so loud. They're trying to outscream the right voices. And when the right voices do say something, it's, well, you're hate. You're phobic. You're this, you're that. And the wrong voice, I, I'm telling you, guys, we better wake up. It, you know, I've never been one of those with boycotts. Like when they were like, boycott Disney. I'm like, I, I like Disney. Uh, you know, but I've never been one of those that did that. But I'm going to tell you, I made a statement the other day, uh, and, and I was out. I said, man, I said, I, I'm done with Target. I'm done with Target. And, and, and somebody listened and said, well, what? what what do you mean you're done with Target? What's that going to do? I said, I'll tell you what it's going to do. They won't get a dime of my hard-earned money is what it's going to do. Because here's one thing. If you're an adult, I don't, I, do what you want to do. But when you start coming after my kids, that's when the gloves come off. And, and guys, you know me. I love the LGBT community. I, I do. We've got people that were part of that community for years that are coming here, that, that God did work in their life. We've got people that are part of that community that still attend here. So this is not a problem with that. Are you, are you hearing me? Because I, I believe God loves everybody. I believe God loves you right where you're at, but I let, believe he loves you enough not to leave you right where you're at. But here's my problem. Target gave $2.1 million to an LGBTQ group called GLSEN, or G-L-S-E-N, stands for Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. This group is one of the groups that opposes legislation that would ban sexually explicit material to our kids. And they oppose it. To me... If you want to talk to my kids about sex and sexual positions as an adult, we used to call those pedophiles. Are, are you following me? And here, but they gave, this group also wants teachers to use when they're in class and they've got a trans student, they want you to call them 
teachers call them by their new trans name. But if you're having to speak to the child's parent, you are to address them by what they call their dead name. Because they don't want, they, they, they want to keep the child's transition secret from the parents. And here's my problem. You tell a kid to keep something hidden from their parent, we've got an issue. And this is, I, I'm talking anything. Anybody ever told me, hey, don't tell your mom and daddy about this. We've got an issue. I remember one time, this is so funny, I, didn't, I just now thought of this. Uh, Kennedy, man, which if you know my Kennedy, Kennedy, Kennedy is, she was growing up black and white. There was no other. There was no gray area. And I remember she had this little friend that come down and wanted to give her this poster. I forget give what the poster was. And she's like, Mom and Dad, my mom and dad won't let me have that poster. And she said, don't tell your mom and dad. And she did not know Kennedy very well. And the thing is, when you say, don't tell mom and dad, no, you're trying to hide something from me. And I have been given the responsibility to raise my kids, not you. Are you hearing me? And so the, the wrong voices, here's what's happening. Here's why I'm harping on this is because we've got wrong voices. We've got kids. We've got teenagers. We've got adults that are just hungry for somebody to tell them who they are. To tell them what their identity is. And then we've got wrong voices that are ready to jump at the chance to tell them who they are. And if the right voices don't rise up, I'm, guys, I'm telling you, we are in a battle. And the wrong voices, listening to the wrong voices will equal wrong choices every single time. Let's get back to the story. Esau He's in a weak state. He comes in. He says to Jacob, hey, give me something. That stew you're cooking. Jacob recognizes his brother weak, is weak. And he says this, hey, you want some of my soup? Sell me your birthright. Again, I do not understand this. I grew up in the South. I grew up fighting. Uh, uh, you know, uh, not, I, yeah, I did enjoy it. Uh, but that was, I fought with my cousins. I fought with people. We just grew up fighting. And here's what I don't understand about this story. Esau, rugged mountain man. Jacob, mama's boy. Why didn't Esau say, boy, I ain't asking for your soup. Give me that soup now. You know, why didn't he just go in and take it? Because he found himself weak. He found himself in a moment of hunger, and Esau doesn't just feel, he just, I don't feel strong enough. And so Jacob says, I've got him where I want him. Sell me your birthright. And look what, look what Esau says. Look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? See, when you're hungry, when you're frustrated, when you're overwhelmed, be careful who you talk to in those moments. That's survival tip number one. Survival tip number two. Watch out for unsatisfied hunger that leads to exaggerated emotions. I'm starving! You ever heard somebody say that? I'm starving! You're like, dude, you're 30, 40 pounds overweight. You ain't starving. You're hungry, but you ain't starving. And he says, I'm starving! 
And Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright, and I'll give you this food. I'm about to die. What's good is a a birthright to me? Esau goes from rough and rugged mountain man to drama queen like that. You know know what this reminds me of? Check, check, Check this out. Play that for me, please. Mike, what is your deal, oh, man? Come on, man. You've been riding me all day. Mike, you're playing like Betty White out there. That's not what your girlfriend said. Oh, baby. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Eat a Snickers. Better? Better. Hey, I'm bet. That hurt. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. There's more truth to that tagline. You're not you when you're hungry. Esau found himself hungry. Suddenly, he wasn't the rough and rugged mountain man. You're not you when you're hungry. Because when you do things, when you're hungry, you'll do things you normally wouldn't do. Are you hearing me? When you're hungry, you'll say things you normally wouldn't say. You'll go places you normally wouldn't go. When you're hungry, you'll revert back to old habits. Because you feel like that'll satisfy where you're out. And watch out for unsatisfied hunger that becomes exaggerated emotions. I, I mean, listen, there's a reason they tell you never to go to the grocery store when you're hungry, right? I mean, come on. Why? If you send your husband to the grocery store and he's hungry, hadn't had dinner, he starts looking at stuff you've never had in your house before. Boy, that looks good. That looks good. That good. I mean, you're piling stuff in there. You get home, your life, wife's like... Since when do we eat pickled pig's feet? (laughs) Why? Because when you're hungry, you go shopping, everything starts looking good to you. Because you're hungry. You're hungry. In fact, and and anybody ever been on a diet? Nutritionists will tell you this. Hey, if if you want to lose weight, the absolute worst thing you can do is to starve yourself all day. Don't starve yourself. Why? Because you starve yourself all day. That hunger goes unchecked by around 8 p.m. at night. You're sitting there on the couch. You go, let me go, let me go to the fridge, get me a healthy snack. I'm going to do good. You open up the freezer. You got some moose tracks in there. That little lid winks at you. You go, how you doing? And before you know it, you're on the couch elbow deep in moose tracks. Why? Because you allowed your hunger to go unchecked. Here's the truth, guys. Listen to me. I don't think addicts are bad people. I, I don't think, and some of y'all are going are, are, are gonna to throw back with me on, on this. I don't think people that end up having affairs are necessarily bad people. I don't think pastors that fall are necessarily bad people. Here's what I think. They found themselves in a wilderness season. Their hunger went unchecked. And they started reaching for the thing they thought would bring immediate relief. And they made bad choices that caused them to fall. And I'm going to tell you, before you go and start pointing fingers... Everybody in here is just one choice away 
telling you, we can look at Esau and we think, man, what a stupid trade. Why would you trade your birthright for a bowl of soup? But the truth is we do it all the time. We allow ourselves to get hungry. We don't take time to get into his word. We don't take time to pray. We don't spend quality time with God or with others that, that, that will encourage us. And, and so Friday rolls around. We've, we had Sunday. That was great. But because the rest of the week we've been starving, by the time Friday rolls around, we are absolutely starving and reaching for anything to fill the emptiness. And the problem is we start looking for people or things to give us that only God can give us. Other survival shows that, that I, again, I love watching these survival shows. But one of them, Naked and Afraid. Anybody, anybody saw that? Yeah. They'll drop them off in the middle of nowhere, uh, butt naked. Now, they do blur it out, so don't come up and, you know. Uh, but anyway... The first thing these guys have got to do is find water. They know that. They know they've got to find fresh, clean water. And if there's not around, they know, hey, if this is a water source, what I've got to do is build a fire. I've got to boil it. Because these survivalists, they know you do not drink contaminated water. It will mess with you and it'll mess you up. But here's what I've said on more than one occasion. They get out there. They go a day or two without water. And they can't get water. They can't get a fire started to, to boil the water. And everything they know starts going out the window. And they start reasoning it. Surely this will. This, this, it, it looks clean enough. It, it's flowing. It'll be fresh. It'll be okay. I've never seen one time where they made the decision to go ahead and drink something that they knew they better not, that they didn't end up bent over somewhere puking their guts up. Not one time. And the problem is with this, they were dehydrated before, but now that they've thrown up, they've thrown up everything, and now they're worse off than what they were to start with. And we do that. We reach, we talk ourselves into reaching for something. We know better. All our training has told us, no, don't do it. But we reason it out in our mind. And then it leaves us worse off than what we ever were before. I'm telling you guys, watch out for unsatisfied hunger that leads to exaggerated emotions. Jacob tells Esau, hey, man, I'll trade you. I'm, I'm starving. I'll trade you a bowl of soup. I'll trade my birthright for a bowl of soup. Here, here, let me tell you what a birth, what that means. Because that don't mean a lot to us now. But to the Hebrew people, the birthright, the blessing that was given by the Father, it was extremely important. I mean, so much so that the blessing from the Father, that birthright, it was an oral contract. I mean, it was good, good as a written contract. And here's what that meant. To, to have the birthright meant you inherited double than anybody else. It meant you became the head of the family. And, and that blessing of being the head of the family put you in a special relationship with God. Why? Because during this time, God dealt directly with the heads of the family. So he was trading double the inheritance, a special relationship with God, and being the head of the family. Look at this. Jacob says, swear to me first. 
So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau trades his birthright, trades double the inheritance, becoming head of the family, a special relationship with God, all for a bowl of soup. We do it. We trade our birthright, our integrity, our character, our sobriety, our relationship with God every day for a bowl of soup. You know, I have to wonder if things would have been different if Esau had had somebody else in his life that would have said, hey, Esau, don't do this, man. This is not a good trade. But Esau was alone. And I'm going to tell you, when you're alone and you don't surround yourself with people that will tell you the truth, it's a whole lot easier to make bad decisions. And I just wonder, there, see, there are people here today, you're on the verge of trading your birthright for a bowl of soup, and God is saying, walk away. Don't do it. Your integrity is worth more than a bowl of soup. Your character is worth more than a bowl of soup. Your marriage is worth more. Your kids are worth more. Your purity is worth more. Your heart and soul are worth more. You are worth more. You are. Look, look, look at this verse again. Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank it, got up and left, and Esau despised his birthright. Sound familiar? Don't we all know the feeling of immediate regret? I mean, we all know that feeling of we do it, we know better, we know better, but we do it, then immediately afterwards we have regret. But I'm going to tell you, that is the trick of the enemy. When we're in a wilderness season, he tells us it will satisfy us. We know it won't, but in that moment, he makes it look really good. And we end up doing it anyway, and we have immediate regret. We feel shame. And then we have these feelings, man, I thought it would bring more relief. I thought it would satisfy longer. My third and final survival tip. Don't trade what you want most for something you want now. Don't trade what you want most for something you want right now. I know this may sound crude, but I think it illustrates my point. After Esau ate that stew, where did it go? Through him and became waste, right? When we make those choices and we take something we want now over what we want most, it usually ends in waste. It usually ends in waste. I'm telling you, don't trade what you want most for something you want right now. Because that's what happened to Esau. And that's what happens to us. We give up the very thing we want most for the urge that we're feeling right now. We want to lose weight, man. This is, I'm going to tell you, this is me. 
We want to lose weight. We want to get healthy. We want to see the waist size shrink. I want, we, we want to hear the doctor say, man, your blood pressure, your share, it, it's better than it's ever been. That's what we want most, right? I want, we want most to be around for our grandkids. But what I want right now is fried chicken. <laughs> oh, that hurts, some of you. I felt this flesh burning right all the way up here. What I want right now is cheesecake. Come on. What I want most, and I end up trading what I want most because my appetite goes unchecked. What we want most is to get out of debt. We want to be able to go on those great vacations. We want to be able to, to, to give our kids something we, we never had. We want to own a house of our own. We don't want to always struggle financially. That's what we want most. But right now, what I want right now is that new pair of shoes. What I want right now is that new toy. What I want right now is that car, that truck, that boat. That's what I want right now. And we trade what we want most, which is financial freedom, for something we think is going to fill a void, and that's right now. Come on. What about this one? We want a godly single life. We want to date someone with the same values as us. We want to date someone who loves God, someone that will hold us accountable, someone that would lead us closer to God. That's what we want most. But right now, PK, I just don't want to be lonely. Right now, I just want to feel some kind of connection. What I want most is a godly relationship, but I'll settle right now for just a hookup. I'll settle right now for just swiping right and seeing what I can get out of this right now. Yeah, that's what I want most. But man, right now I'm so lonely. I just want to feel connected. I want to feel like somebody wants me. And we trade what we want most for what we want right now. What about this? We want peace. We want a peaceful life. We want communication. We want communication to be able to flow back and forth. We want to be able to understand people and empathize with people. That's what we want most. But I'm going to tell you, then it comes to what I want right now is I want to be right about this. I want to be right. And we're about to see it in full swing here in a couple of months when election season starts. I want peace, but bless God, I know I'm right. I want to be right. No, you want, what, what about what God wants? Can I tell you, it's a bad trade every time. Every time. That bowl of soup, that thing you want now, it's not going to bring you the satisfaction you think it's going to. It isn't going to give you the life of purpose that you really want desperately to have. Think about this. Remember the woman at the well in John 4? Jesus comes to the woman at the well and he says, Hey, I've got, I've got water that you'll never thirst again. Why would he say that if he didn't think she was thirsty? He knew she was thirsty. But what she, what she wanted most was a healthy, loving marriage. But she had settled five times for something she wanted right now. And she had been married five times and was now living with a guy. And Jesus was saying to her, listen, quit trading what you want most for that right now thing. Because it's going to leave you wanting more and more. 
in your season of the wilderness, don't allow your hunger to cause you to trade your birthright for a bowl of soup, guys. Well, PK, I don't have a birthright. I don't think my parents are ever going to leave me as all their bills. Come on. But here's what you need to understand. If, you're, if this is new to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a birthright. You have an inheritance. Look, look at this, Ephesians 1.11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. Jump down to verse 14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. You have an inheritance. Look, look at how the Passion paraphrases this. He has given to us like an engagement ring as the first installment of what's coming. He is our hope-filled promise or hope promise of a future inheritance which seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom. Anybody want complete freedom? That's your inheritance. Listen, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've fully surrendered your life to Christ, I don't care if you did it 50 years ago or if you did it today, you have an inheritance. It's yours. You have a birthright. Here's something very important about birthrights. They can't be taken from you. They have to be given. They have to be traded. They have to be transferred. Jacob knew that. He knew that even if he was stronger than Esau, he couldn't go in there and just take the birthright. Esau had to give it away, trade it. And I'm telling you, this is why the enemy comes at us so hard in, in moments of hunger and moments of weakness because he knows he can't take your birthright. So he sets up traps for you. He finds you in your weakest moments and he wants to make something look better than what you've got right now. God says, here's your inheritance, unspeakable joy. That's your inheritance. What do we do? We get up in the morning, we be, eat a big bowl of worry. He says, hey, God says, here's your inheritance. Peace beyond the world's understanding. That's my inheritance. What I'm going to do, I'm going to get up and eat me a big bowl of complaining and whining. Come on. Here's the truth, and this is important. The enemy cannot take your joy. He cannot take your peace. He cannot take your freedom. He cannot take your sobriety, your marriage. He can't take your purity. That's part of your inheritance. So what he does, he tries to show you something that you think looks better and is worth the trade. But it is a bad trade every single time. We fall for it too many times. The Bible tells us it is our glory to overlook an offense. But we get up in the morning looking for a big bowl of offense. And if we can't find it in our cabinets, we'll get online looking for it. I'm convinced a lot of you, the only reason you scroll is to find something that just ticks you off, to give you something to complain about that day. Oh, that's that good, I know. What about this? We trade our testimony for a temper tantrum. 
we get mad, we go off, we lose our cool, say things that are not Christ-like, and basically we've traded our testimony for a bowl of soup. Parents, we get bowls set before us every day. A lot of times we get it right, but a lot of times we get it wrong. A lot of times we choose other things over showing our children what matters most. We choose hobbies. We choose sports. We choose hatefulness. We choose being their friend over being a parent. We give up what we want most for what we want right now. Esau, I'm closing. Esau was blinded to where all he could, all he could see and all he could feel was his need to satisfy that hunger right then and there. Any, anybody remember how Esau was remembered in the Bible? New Testament, his name gets brought up. Check it out, Hebrews 12, 15 and 16. Seek to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance right as the oldest son. It's like the Hebrew writer, hey, who's a good illustration of godless? I know, Esau. He says, don't be godless like Esau. Let me give you a clear picture. In the Bible, we hear God mentioned like this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, I don't know this for a fact. But as I said, I just wondered, since Esau was supposed to get the birthright, what if he hadn't sold it? What if he hadn't traded his birthright for that moment of weakness? Would we read about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau? But Esau gave up his inheritance for something that would only temporarily satisfy him. Look at verse 17 of where he talks about Esau. He said, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what had been done. Let's wrap this up. There's another story in the Bible about two brothers. Most of you know the prodigal son. Where the younger son finds himself so hungry for something different. That he pretty much goes to his father and says, Dad, you're, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance right now. I want my inheritance right now. He gets what he wants. And he goes off, man. And he eats exotic bowls of soup. He eats the most expensive bowls of soup. But as it always happens, the soup ran out. And he finds himself starving. Look at this, Luke 15, 16 and 7. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The prodigal son, what was his nationality? He's a Hebrew? He's a Jew, right? How did Jews feel about pigs? Yet, when you find yourself hungry, things that you normally wouldn't look twice at start looking good. And he starts looking at the pig slop, thinking that looks good. 
And it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. The son had a wake-up call, and he's like, man, my dad feeds his servants better than this. So he comes up with a plan. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to tell him, man, I was foolish. I was selfish, Dad. I made some terrible decisions. And he heads back with his plan. He's like, even if I could just be a servant, I'll eat better than what I'm eating right now. But to his surprise, he didn't even have to make it all the way back to the father's house. He just had to start in that direction. And the Bible says the father ran to him, met him. And his father said, boy, you look like you're starving. He said, I don't care about what you got to say. I'm just glad you're back. You look hungry. I tell you what, let me give you something that will really satisfy you. Let me give you something that's going to satisfy that emptiness that you've been feeling for so long. You ran away from here trying to find it, but now you've come back home to the Father's house. Let me give you something that will feel that inner hunger. So the Father tells him to go kill, tells them, hey, go kill the best cow in the field. Let's throw a party. Man, he said, get him some new clothes. Why? Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. I want to close with one more son in the Bible that found himself starving, finds himself so hungry. And let's look at the decisions he made. He's in the wilderness, Matthew 4, 1, 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'd say that's an understatement. 40 days with no water, no food. To say he was hungry is an understatement. I think it's funny that the enemy, the devil, didn't come to Jesus on day one, day two, day three to tempt him. He waited until Jesus was at his weakest point. 40 days of no food, of no nourishment. And here the devil slides in for his opportunity to offer Jesus some bowls of soup. He offers Jesus three different bowls of soup. Hey, turn these rocks into bread. Hey, throw yourself off the temple. Have your angels come and catch you. Then he takes Jesus up to this highest mount point, shows him all the kingdoms, and says, hey, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all this. Three times, three different bows. And if we're being honest, he's throwing himself off the mount, off, off the off the temple, having the angels catch him, and Satan said, "Hey, bow and worship me." We can say, "No, Jesus is not going to do that." But if we're being really honest, we're thinking, 40 days without food, though, what's the harm in turning some bread or some rocks into some bread? I mean, after all, isn't that one of the perks of being Jesus? Turn stuff into food. So what's the harm in that? What would be so wrong about that? What kept Jesus from giving in to the bowls of soup presented before him? 
What kept him from settling for something he wanted now for what he wanted most, his Father's will? I believe it can be found in the passage we read last week where we talked about John baptizing Jesus. Let's look at that again. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened up. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Here we go. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am very well pleased. Could it be that in the middle of Jesus' greatest temptation, in the middle of him being in the wilderness and starving, that when those bowls of soup came, Jesus remembered who he was. See, I'm convinced of this. What happens when we settle for things, what we want now over what we want most? In those moments where, hey, I want, I want this attention. I want to feel loved. I want this fix. I want that. What happens is we forget who we are. And Jesus is saying, God is saying, look, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm pleased with you. You know what amazes me about this? Jesus, when, when God says that about his son, Jesus hadn't done one recorded miracle. And why I say that is because a lot of times I've not done anything for him to be proud of me about. He sees what you can be. He sees who he's called you to be. He sees the purpose in you. And he calls it out. You are my son and daughter. And I'm telling you, I'm so proud of you. Well, I haven't done anything. Oh, you will, though. You will. I'm telling you guys, we're going to have to get to a place where our hunger for God far surpasses anything else we could ever have. Stand with me across this room.